Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Mark Sanchez, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the president and superintendent of Southwestern Colleges in San Diego, California, and you can be found at swccd.edu. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. So before we uh, started recording, uh, we found out that we both have roots in common uh, in Central California. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your backstory? I know you grew up in San Diego. Um, Tell us about your early years and then what got you into education and finally into administration. Yeah. um, So I was born and raised in San Diego. Um, I was born in a small community of uh, Logan Heights, which is just outside of downtown San Diego. Uh, did all of my public schooling in San Diego. Interestingly, uh, my dad is a Korean War veteran, um, and after um, exiting the military, ended up working in construction for 35 years, and my mom was an elementary school librarian. So um, very early on, my family very much emphasized education, so did all of my public schooling in San Diego. Um, Had the opportunity to go straight to the university upon graduating from high school, But when I visited our local uh, California State University, um, it felt like a very, very large and strange environment, and it was a little uh, daunting for me. So I ended up attending our local community college. As a matter of fact, I ended up um, attending Southwestern College, of which I am now the superintendent president. So it's been an interesting journey. But after completing my undergraduate work um, um, in San Diego, I ended up... um, moving to the Central Valley. Interestingly, I had a phone call with uh, the director of the graduate studies program at the time. It was someone by the name of Sharon Brown Welty. (laughs) And I actually picked up the phone and I said, hey, I'm really interested in attending the master's program at Fresno State. I've read a lot of great things about your program. And I'm just really interested in getting more information. And her response was really what changed my life and my trajectory. Her response was very simple. She says, when do you want to start? (laughs) And that meant a lot to me because in that moment, in that response, it it very much felt like you can do it. You will do it. And so I asked the next logical question. I was, don't I have to take an exam, a graduation entrance test? And she said, we'll handle all of those logistics later. Let's just make sure we get you set on coming up to Fresno State. And so that simple phone call changed my whole trajectory, and I ended up moving to the Central Valley. And I have a lot of respect for Fresno, the Central Valley. I just think it's a different dynamic with people working in, in an ag community. Um, and that was my experience very early on, moving from a big city to an agricultural community. Is It very much is about community in, in yeah. the Central Valley. And so... It was a it was a life changing experience, and of course that was your you you became close friends with John and Sharon Welty. That's correct, yeah. And then and then John Welty, Dr. John Welty, who 
just happened to be the president of the university. And before his retirement, he was one of the longest tenured California State University presidents in the system. And he did a genius job at Fresno State. He did a fantastic job of really raising the profile of Fresno State and really making it a top-notch academic institution. And so I just, I loved the Valley. I loved being there. So I did my master's and my doctorate program at Fresno State, had the best mentors in the world and Dr. Sharon Brown-Welty and Dr. John Welty. And then ended up becoming a dean at Fresno City College. And um, I was honored to be a part of a team that was really um, building programs and services that were helping uh, young people both have early college uh, opportunities, but also people returning from the workforce who may have been dislocated from industries that were no longer pertinent and getting them into new industry pathways, new training programs and really allowing them to reinvent their career trajectory. And so we were really a part of a comprehensive team that was building that work at Fresno City College. And then in just on a personal note, you know, living in the Central Valley, I had the opportunity to travel from Sacramento down to Bakersfield and everything in between in the Central Valley and get to learn a lot about the history of people who lived in the Central Valley. And so one of my early experiences was learning about the 40 acres in Delano uh, and of course, that's that was home base for the United Farm Worker Movement, right. Cesar Chavez, Larry Leon, Dolores Huerta, and just how much magic was able to occur in that small little town of Delano in terms of really advocating for farm worker rights and human rights. And so um, just that whole experience was really a tremendous um, learning experience. I'm humbled by the Central Valley to this day. I love visiting. I love the people. Um, and so it will forever be uh, an experience that changed my entire life. So um, I know a lot of people don't talk good about the Central Valley, but my my experiences were nothing but positive. Well, I, I can live anywhere I want. And I've lived here for over 45 years, you know, so. I understand I think, why. It's a beautiful yeah. community. Yeah. Well, I live, I live up in the mountains up just below Prather. And, um, you know, it's I wouldn't live anywhere else. I'll tell you one of the things I miss over the summer is being able to stop at a, a, a farmer's stand oh, um, and get fresh peaches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I love the agriculture. I love the community. I just love everything that's represented in the Central Valley. So I, I'm even considering potentially retiring there. So, oh. well, as you think about, as you think about your career, what is it today as you sit as the president and superintendent of Southwestern college, what is, what unique skills and, and, attitudes and experiences do you bring to the job that, that makes you, you you unique? Yeah, I think so. What makes my my experience unique is what I said just a few minutes ago is that I was actually a student here as a first time college student at the institution um, that I'm now um, overseeing. We're a $200 million a year operation. Wow, big. About 1,400 employees. And I'm from this community. So I think that's not something that can be easy, easily replicated because there's an inherent care and passion for serving this community because I'm organically from it. Um, and so, but that also comes with a lot of expectation and a lot of responsibility around leading the institution, the college to be the best that it can be. And so I think the skill sets that are necessary to do this effectively is one, you've got to have the content expertise on what it is to run a large and complex institution. It comes with a lot of challenges, but it also comes with a lot of opportunities. 
And so as long as you understand what those challenges are going to be day in and day out, and you approach it from the right mindset, uh, not taking anything personally, but really staying focused on the mission and the outcomes um, is really key uh, to being successful. Two, I think you have to be a great communicator, both in person and in, in writing. And one of the things I think is important is you can't do this work alone. You're doing it with a comprehensive team. And so really making that team feel valued, feel appreciated. Um, I take an opportunity, and it's the little things that count. I take an opportunity to walk campus uh, daily. When people share with me the name of their children or their wives or their husbands, I remember those details because I want people to remember that, that interaction with me as their leader. It makes a difference. I think it helps build trust. I think it helps people know that you're approachable, um, that they can communicate things with you. And just really understanding that we have to keep people at the center of the work that we do because it's people serving people at the end of the day. And so we want to do that to the maximum ability. And then I think as a leader, what's becoming more and more increasingly important because our workforce is dealing with so many challenges as we've emerged from the pandemic, um, like mental health stressors or even family health issues, I think it's critically important to keep laser focused on the why of the college, our mission, and um, because that can certainly get lost in a lot of other different factors that people are dealing with. So making sure we take the opportunity to outline the why of what we're doing every day to serve our community. And so I, I think it's all of those things. Um, uh, but you have to wear different hats as a leader, depending on the circumstances, and it can shift moment by moment. So you may have um, a team member who's dealing with some personal uh, health issues and stressors. And so how do you make that team member feel valued? And and how do you feel? let them know that you understand what they're dealing with? And how do we put them first in trying to get them healed so that they can come back and do their jobs? with under the, uh, the the maximum health conditions. And so it just depends on the circumstances. So you've got to be flexible and you've got to be able to adapt uh, depending on what you're needed for in that moment. And that, that truly is a synopsis of leadership today. Wow. You've got a couple of interesting initiatives that I've read about. One, one is the one that was most fascinating to me is, and I, I know it's working through the California legislature now, is getting a law passed that allows students from Baja, California, Baja, Mexico, to come across the border and come to Southwestern or actually any community college or university and pay in-state tuition rather than out-of-state tuition. What's, what, I think that's a fabulous idea. What, 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 brought, what brought that about? Yeah, so it's Assembly Bill 91. And as a matter of fact, it's gonna go through the apportionment committee of the legislature in the next couple of weeks, I believe by the end of the month. And so Assembly 91 is really a bill that was conceptualized based on our proximity uh, to the U.S.-Mexico border. Southwestern College is six miles from the U.S.-Mexico uh, border, the San Isidro-Tijuana border crossing, which is one of the busiest border crossings in the world. And it was conceptualized with understanding the data point at Southwestern that on average about 16% of our student enrollment is students who live on the other side of the border. And it's a really unique phenomenon because many of our students who have historically lived in our service area in Chula Vista have since moved uh, just across the border. And it really is a microcosm of the fact that I think San Diego County has not done a very good job in creating affordable housing solutions. 
So essentially what people do is they, they find ways to survive. And, that, and one of the key ways that people have found to survive is to move to the other side of the border because rents on average in San Diego County go, for, it's 2,300 on an average for a one bedroom apartment in our service wow. area. They can get a one bedroom apartment in Tijuana, Mexico, just six miles away for about six to $700 a month. Wow. Now they have to deal with the inconvenience of having to do the border crossing every day. But what that means to them is they can afford to live and they can afford to eat just by living on the other side of the border. So what AB 91 does is it was really a conceptual idea that came about just hearing directly from our students. Essentially, what they said is that, you know, I, I was enrolled at the college, um, but I can no longer attend because I simply cannot afford the international student rates. And so the price difference is for California community college students, they pay $46 a unit. So for a three-unit course, that's $150. That same course would be, for an international student, would be $400 um, a unit or $1,200 a class. So essentially, that little adjustment removes the barrier of costs. And again, we're not giving the student anything. We're just simply leveling the playing field by allowing them to pay in-state tuition rate um, and in many cases, some of these students live closer in proximity than some of our students who live in other parts of the county that attend our college. So it really is about removing a, an access barrier. And it's important for our workforce because there are industries in our workforce in San Diego County right now, computer information systems being one of them and then STEM being the other, engineering. Um, where in San Diego County right now, there's 1,600 engineering vacancies because we haven't prepared the local workforce to be ready for those workforce opportunities. So what industries are having to do in San Diego County, general dynamics being one of them, as well as, um, as, well as um, uh, Amber, they're actually getting workers from other parts of the country and recruiting because we simply do not have the prepared local workforce to be able to do those jobs. And so, so that's a problem. And I think it's a problem that can easily be addressed if we increase the pathways for people to get an education by removing those barriers. And so AB 91 is one of those symbolic opportunities to try to remove a barrier for our binational region. Is there any any strong political opposition to it? I don't not that I, I don't know that I would say it's strong. I think there's a lot of people who don't truly understand the bill. Mm -hmm. And there's a mindset that we're giving students something that we're not giving to our own local citizens. And that's not actually the case. And as many, as a matter of fact, many of our students are our local citizens. They just happen to live on the other side of the border. So I think the more we educate people that we're not giving free handouts, we're actually just leveling a, a playing field by removing a barrier. Um, I think the more and more we educate people, the more we're getting people comfortable with it. The other, the other initiative, and I've seen the same initiative up here in the Central Valley, is that you're really pushing getting high school kids to take parallel college courses. Yeah, yeah dual, enrollment. dual um, enrollment. So it's a great model. And, and Reedley College, as a matter of fact, in the Central Valley, they have um, an actual brick and mortar facility that, that they built, an early college high school. So essentially what students are doing is they're taking their A through G course curriculum for the high school and they're taking college courses at the same time. And I believe they're building the model that so when the student graduates from high school, they already have 60 transferable units. So wow. they're, already a, they're already a junior in college by the time they finish high school. That's I think it's a beautiful model. It's a brilliant model. And I think 
the fact that Reedley, California, through the State Center Community College District is modeling to the country how that can be done effectively. Kudos to, to Reedley College. And is that something that you're adopting at, at Southwestern? We are looking at that and trying to build that model with our largest K through 12 district, the Sweetwater Union High School District, and trying to replicate that. But the nice thing is, is we already have a facility in our San Ysidro Higher Education Center that we can utilize to offer those courses to our local high school students. And it really is around early college preparation. And um, I think the more we can expose um, a student to uh, what college looks like, how they can be successful, and how they can prepare for a career. The earlier we can do that for those students who are open to it, the better. Wow. Uh, I, it, sends, it kind of sends shivers up and down my spine listening. Oh, that's beautiful. You wow. know, just an interesting side note. I, I think this is a fascinating thing. A lot of people don't know it, but um, so where we're proposing to build this program truly is like a phoenix rising from the ashes because our San Ysidro Higher Education Center was actually the site of the first mass shooting in the United States. Wow. That higher education center actually sits on the land where the former McDonald's used to be, where there was a, sh a mass shooting in 1984. Um, a gunman went in and, and shot up the McDonald's, killed 23 people, men, women, and children who were simply eating at McDonald's. And that, uh, um, that documentary is actually featured on Prime, uh, Prime Video. It's called 77 Minutes. Wow. It's an interesting history, but every July 17th, the community, there's still living members who were there that day who come out. We've built a memorial at our higher education center, and they come out and just kind of pay homage to the lives that were lost that day. Wow. But I think what that higher education center represents is hope hope for the future. And so what better way to model that through our programming of preparing college students for a college education as early as possible. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this show is called Listening with Leaders. So I always like to get your take on the importance of listening in the work that you do. How important is listening being a president superintendent? Uh, it's, it's critical. There's, there's no way around being able to be a true leader without listening. And, and I think it's definitely a skill um, that needs to be acquired at a very high level, because oftentimes I think it's 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 inherent to want to listen to come back with a response. But I think it's it, there's a critical distinction in listening to really understand what people are trying to communicate with you. And I think when you listen, you listen deeply, and you really hear what people are trying to tell you. You're better poised to come up with solutions. Um, and so I think it's a fundamental and key. Uh, uh, a skill that someone needs to have as a leader to be effective. And so I, I take a lot of pride in being a good listener, really trying to listen to the details of what people are trying to share with you. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like it, sound, it resonates that that would be true with you because as you walk about campus, you're really listening to people carefully and remembering their personal details. And you know, I mean, nothing can be, nothing's more important to another person than their own name, right? <laughs> it's gold. It's gold. And, you know, I, I learned that a long time ago. And it's, it was modeled to me, you know, who was like that is one of my early mentors, Dr. John Welty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and there was another leader that I worked with in San, San Luis Obispo, Dr. Gil Stork, um, who they just remember every detail. And so there's a saying that people won't remember what you told them, but they'll remember how you made them feel. That's right. And so I think there's absolutely truth in that. And so some of the best leaders I've known is really who have made me feel welcomed and valued in our exchanges. So it's it's a it's a very critical skill. 
What's been what's been your biggest challenge? You've been in your position for a little over three years now. What what do you what's been your biggest challenge? Um, we're moving the organization to maximum efficiency and meeting our mission. I think for the first time in in history, we have four different generations of workers in the workforce. We have the baby boomers, we have Generation X, Generation Z, and then millennials. So certainly, there's different viewpoints and different perspectives that come along with how to do our best work, right? And so I think one of the biggest challenges and also opportunities is how do we get all of those different perspectives moving in the same direction so that we can be the best college we can in serving our community. And so um, certainly that comes with courageous conversations on a daily, a daily basis. And, you know, there's no way, there's no way uh, easy way around that. You have to have these courageous conversations. You have to be willing to to sit down with people and and be bold and outlining the why. And so I think you know that's been probably the biggest challenge. We're a large workforce. We're a large organization. Uh, we come with a lot of complex history. And so really just trying to bring everyone together to move in the same direction because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It really is around our, our students who walk onto this campus looking to change their lives and how we help make that happen. That's that's the most fundamental thing for me to do and to lead and, and it so requires it sounds to me, leadership. Yeah. So what you're doing is part of what you're doing is setting a vision for everybody else to look at and hopefully buy into. Yes. Because they see they see the power of what you see and are willing and, to follow you to, to achieve that goal. Absolutely. And, you know, um, one of the things I've been really intentional about is circling around what we're doing. And I think it's important to show we're not just doing this to feel good. So I often do presentations on what our data is telling us. And so one of the biggest presentations, I just did a state of the district on March 17th with Assembly, California Assembly member David Alvarez and then the interim chancellor of the California Community College System, Dr. Daisy Gonzalez. We did a state of the district here in Chula Vista. And one of the key points I highlighted is how we've been able to make gains in our enrollment. So during the pandemic, our headcount enrollment was just over 15,000 students. And as of this spring semester, our headcount enrollment is 17,500. At the highest point of our enrollment in history, we were just over 19,000. So I, I'm really intentional about using data to show that what we're doing is actually yielding results. We're not where we want to be, obviously, but we're going in the right direction. So all of this is to say is that the work that we're doing is, is effective. And I think it's important for people to hear that. I mean, certainly we want to do things that make people feel valued and feel good about their work. But what better way than to show that we're actually achieving what we're, we're setting out to achieve. And so I'm, I'm very intentional about circling back and presenting data on how we're doing to meet our metrics. I think that's important leadership um, principle as well. I got one more question for you before we wrap up. This is a little more personal. Yeah. What's the one thing that we would never know about you personally unless you revealed it to us? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's <laughs> it's funny. It's funny because um, you know, my wife, she says I'm I'm married to uh, a, a little boy and a, and a big man and a grown man's body. And so I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Oh. Um, my sister and brother-in-law took me to the very first Star Wars in May 1977, right. and I've seen every Star Wars since, 
And I mean, I just, so it's more than the movies as well. There's a website called Sideshow that sells uh, collectibles for different. And so I have a I have an actual life size Yoda. <laughs> and uh, I really do. And it's a replica of the one that's at um, Skywalker Studios. And so I'm just a huge Star Wars fan. I that's love right. it. That's um, and so I don't know if anyone would know that about me, but I love I love That's Star Wars fun. movies. I remember I remember in May of 1977, uh, I played hooky from my bar study, bar exam studies <laughs> for an <laughs> afternoon and went to watch Star Wars. I had no idea what Star Wars was all about, but but I was totally enthralled by the movie. <laughs> how, did, how did you feel after you saw it? The first I one? Thought I, I walked it. We walked in. We must have been a mid-afternoon matinee or something, and there were no lines. But when we came out, the line was all the way around the block, and people were grumbling. And I say, "It's worth it. It's oh, worth yeah. watching." Yeah, <laughs> I was six. I was six years old, and so okay. Uh, but I'll never forget that day. Yeah, I couldn't forget that day, and so um, that's I just, I just love Star Wars. I love it. That's fun. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. I, it's my pleasure, Doug, and uh, thank you for your time as well. Absolutely. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.